You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I am joined by my co-host Tony and we are doing our race recap of the John Bear Grease Marathon up in northern Minnesota. And what a race it was. If you guys recall on our race preview, they had a estimated finishing time of 525 local time. And we asked folks, what was the over under? Will the person finish before that time or after that time? And Tony, they were pretty dang close for uh, this long of a race with this type of weather and all of that. They were only two hours and 25 minutes off with the finisher finishing right before 3 p.m. local time. Is that correct? Uh, yes. If we did the math correctly, it looks like uh, Keith came in first place about two and a half hours ahead of when the um, the race expected a finish. So that's pretty cool. Um, hopefully nobody was really set on that 525 PM time and missed the finish. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of exciting. I didn't actually get to see them come in cause I had some, uh, issues. My parents' dog was sick, so I had to be with my mom at the vet so that she didn't lose her mind, but everything's fine with the dog as far as we know. So <laughs> it was just I- my mom panicking. Well, that's good to hear. I know that you're big time into sports superstitions and jinxing and all that, but I have to ask, did you call up Jamie Foxx at MGM and put your bet in for the over-under? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I, I did not. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I don't think that um, online betting is allowed up here in Alaska. I know it is in a lot of other places. They just... Um, finished up some major casino renovations and things down near Seattle, but we don't have anything like that up here, do we? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I know that, um, you know, we have some pretty strict gaming laws and how you can even do a raffle. So, but I, I really don't, I don't bet much at all. I've been to Vegas one time and I didn't even put like a penny in the penny machines at the casinos. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not something that I actually pay attention to. So this is sort of an interesting question, and it's not, it's not too far off our race coverage, but I wonder if there are any sports bets going on in the sport of mushing. There has to be. You can bet on everything in every sport. You know, during the Super Bowl, you can bet on how far the longest field goal will be and whether it's going to be mm-hmm. heads and tails and... Uh, you know, who's going to score the first touchdown and all that sort of stuff. I wonder if there is bets going on in Vegas or any of these other sports betting places on mushing, in particular on Iditarod. So for folks that are listening outside of Alaska, in particular those who fancy the online or off offline betting, whatever it's called, are there 
bets going on with mushing. We would love to know. Shoot us a message over on social media, and we would be happy to talk about it on our race coverage next time. So right now, as we're recording, which is, uh, what, 7 o'clock Alaska time here on Tuesday, we have 13 mushers finished, two mushers still remaining, and two mushers that scratched. What do you know about the finishers, the two folks that are still running, and the two folks that scratched? Um, well, before we get into that, I will say that I do know as the um, amateur historian that I am that Vegas used to do betting on the Iditarod back in the Susan Butcher days. I don't know if they still do, but I know that that was a thing back in the 90s. Aha. Um, <laughs> I just had to, I had to, I had to throw that in there. There you um, go. <laughs> Um, for the two scratches, I only have information on Martin Massacott. I don't know how to say his last name, so I do apologize. He did run Iditarod. I should know how to say his name, but I don't. Um, he took a wrong turn after leaving the checkpoint of Sawville. I'm not sure exactly where on the trail he took the wrong turn. Um, I, I missed it. I think I was sleeping. But he took such a wrong turn and got so far off course that it was not really possible to get back on the main trail and continue on. And so he had to scratch. Everybody is fine, according to his kennel's Facebook page. Everyone is fine. Musher is fine. Musher is just very disappointed, which is understandable. We've seen that happen in other races. Um, Nick Petit, of course, ha has notoriously gone off course in many different races and had to either scratch or fall way behind in placement. Um, and that's just the first name that pops into my head um, in the last few years of long distance mushing. So it's not uncommon in a race, but it's always disheartening. You you want more of a Larry Doherty story where they just go 100 miles off the trail, but they can backtrack and still continue on and still be considered competitive within the race and not have to be withdrawn. Um, and then I don't have any information on Daniel Klein's scratch. He's the other one that scratched. Scratched quite late in the race, I believe. And uh, he is running another team out of Ryan Reddington's kennel. But Ryan's kennel hasn't really said much about Daniel's race. They focused on Sarah Kiefer, who ended up third in this race. Um, and especially the story of Wildfire, um, who we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's 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 a well-run race where we've only had two scratches, which is really impressive. I think last year they had many more, um, but the trail conditions were really rough last year. It was more like what we saw in the Cusco with rain and slushy, nasty trail. This year it was cold, so uh, a little bit different. And the trail, I guess, was, was a very, very uh, well-groomed and maintained trail. For our winners, we have now a two-time champion with Keith Ailey uh, taking first place. He last won this race in 2006. He is one half of the Miles Ahead Kennel with his wife, Erin. Um, she, of course, is also a champion of this race, so their kennel is very strong. Um, they, they've done a remarkable job in the last few years. 
Uh, Keith beat out the reigning champ of Ryan Anderson, who came in second. He came in just a few minutes after Keith, so it wasn't like Keith blew away the competition. It was another one of those really, uh, really challenging races for the top names. Uh, they, they leapfrogged quite a bit, but Ryan was really in charge of this race for at least half of it if not a little bit more I'm really bad at math guys I apologize if I'm doing my fractions wrong here uh, like I said third place was Sarah Kiefer fourth was Matthew Schmidt and rounding out the top five is Nick Vigilante um, again I, I checked all of their social media this afternoon and I've not seen any recaps yet it's a 300 mile race uh, through some pretty brutal weather conditions so I'm guessing a lot of them finished, took care of the dogs, and then showered and went to sleep. So we won't have a lot of recaps uh, from the mushers themselves until later on this week. Uh, but yeah, we've got, you know, Jennifer Frecking, she missed out on the top 10. I believe she was running a full team of Siberians this year. Sometimes the Freckings have kind of a hybrid of both the Alaskan and the, the Siberian Husky in the race, but they came 11th. And Laura Neese, who if you're an Iditarod fan, you know who she is. She came 12th. And then we've got the two that are still racing, Andy Hearscap and Mary Manning. Um, Mary, I think, is going to be our Red Lantern. She's much further behind than Andy is, so it'll be interesting to see just when they finish. As a matter of fact, Tony, Andy just finished in the last couple of minutes. I refreshed, and uh, it looks like <laughs> looks like he just finished. Good for him. Good for him. So, yeah, Mary's, Mary's going to be the Red Lantern. And when I checked the tracker a little while ago, she was not moving, so I don't know if she has continued on or not. It actually looks like she is moving, but at a very slow pace so it must be wherever she is there must be some stuff going on on that trail yes it yeah it, it can be rough up there as you get a little bit north for sure uh, so that is the standings and we're going to talk about uh, uh one of the dogs here in just a second before we talk about a very interesting story out of one of the shorter races and we talked about getting lost or taking a wrong turn on a trail and that's going to have some implications, I think. But one thing I want to talk about before we move forward is I'm looking at the speed of these uh, 12, 13 racers now, and it looks like the fastest team happened to be uh, Ryan Anderson at 10.6, and the slowest musher was Colleen Whalen, I believe it is, is how you say her last name, which is eight miles an hour. Now, this does not incorporate the amount of time that they rested, but there is just about two miles an hour separating the first place finisher and um, more, more or less the last place finisher as well. And that's interesting because the first place finisher finished at right about 3 p.m. Uh, our time. And um, Andy, who just now finished, is uh, about five hours or so behind him. And that's interesting because it could be rest, but it also could be miles an hour. And it really shows difference in strategy, the speed of the dogs and all of that. 
it, it is interesting to see those stats. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm not one. I, I think I think I'm one of the few fans that doesn't really study the stats. Um, again, it's math. It's not my strong suit. Um, but it is interesting to see just how evenly matched a lot of these teams are in all of the races that we've followed this year. There isn't a lot of difference in the speed of the teams necessarily. It all seems to come down to strategy, which I actually love to just sit and listen to mushers debate different types of strategy. It's one of my favorite things to just kind of do there at, at musher or headquarters, you know, um, mushing central there in Iditarod, especially up in Nome when you're just sitting around and you're listening to the old timers spitball as we wait for teams to come in. Um, you, you just hear how they're like, well, if, you know, Nick had gotten up and gotten out a half hour early, this wouldn't be, he wouldn't be where he is or, or whatever it is. Um, because the teams, the dogs are all pretty much doing the same thing. It's just how well their coach, it's kind of like watching the NFL in the postseason, and it's really coming down to who has the better coach at the end of the day, you know, who out coaches the other coach. And, and that's kind of what we're seeing here, especially in the top ranked teams in this race. It, it comes down to strategy. It does. And, and just a little bit more math for you, Tony. Uh, I'm looking <laughs> on two other columns of stats and two of them that are very interesting that you don't often see in these races are total trail time and total rest time. And I'm looking at mm -hmm. the first place finisher, Total trail time was 52 hours, 57 minutes, and 20 seconds, whereas the total trail time for the second place finisher, 52 hours, 57 minutes, 27, 23 seconds. So three seconds longer trail time, but eight minutes longer rest time for those top two teams. So if that second place team would have rested eight minutes less they probably would have run won the race i think that that's very interesting and just working your way down those two columns almost everybody has just around 24 hours of total rest i assume that that was the mandatory rest for this race and the total trail time for the finishing teams literally goes from just about 53 hours down to our uh, current finisher at 59 hours, 33 minutes. So such a tight race with all these teams. I mean, we're, we're splitting hairs with these numbers. I haven't seen a race this close with this many teams in a long time. Yeah, you know, normally you do. You have such a, a break in, in time differences and, and people cutting rest where they can or adding more rest than, than what's required and still coming out on top. But like you said, it, it really does. It comes down to minutes and seconds and how efficient you are in the checkpoints, how efficient you are snacking the dogs out on the trailer or whatever it is that just, you know, ate those few seconds that gave Keith the, the time that he needed to be able to, to pick off Ryan at the end. 
Yes. So I understand you have a dog update story. Is that right? I do. We brought up the story of wildfire and how I, when we recorded, I didn't know if he had actually made Sarah's team. He was there. He did start with Sarah and he did finish today with Sarah. He ran the entire 302 miles, as the kennel pointed out, it's 302 miles. Uh, he ran that entire distance. He was excited to go. He was lunging, and I believe I saw him in the short clip that I saw at the end of the race, still raring to go. Um, so I, I'm going to assume right now that he's probably made Ryan's Iditarod team later on this year. So Alaska will probably get to see our star wildfire. For those who don't know the story, wildfire was hit by a snow machiner uh, during a training run last year down there in the States. Um, and he broke his leg in three places, had to have several surgeries. When it first happened, Ryan believed that they would have to amputate and that wildfire would be essentially retired from racing and his peak years as a sled dog racer. And um, thanks to a vet who was willing to take on the surgeries and the recovery plan um, and the generous donations from the mushing community, both fans and uh, kennels alike, came together to help uh, offset some of the veterinary costs. Wildfire has made a full recovery, and as we see here, he is one of the stars. He actually got, I think, more media coverage than any other, um, certainly any other dog, but also I think any musher that's in this race. He was everywhere this weekend. That's what it's all about. People always say it's all about the dogs, and I think if they get more coverage than the mushers, uh, something's going right. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, definitely. So, they're, they're cuter anyway. Of course. So let's turn our <laughs> attention to the uh, 120 race. We talked about it on our preview show. And Otter Run Kennels, who happened to be a guest on our show a year or two ago, they are a big-time mid-distance kennel, in particular the, the Bear Grease and, and all the races around northern Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and whatnot. They posted on Twitter... A very interesting story that, her, story that has parallels with the race that we talked about last night, the Cusco 300, and an infamous couple of mushers that did the same thing. And I'm going to say right now, this is why people should be following these races by Twitter, because all the juicy tidbits are, are here. So what's happening on the trail or what happened on the trail what did the Otter Run Kennel report, and what do you think is going to come of it, and how does that relate to the Cusco? So my understanding, I did not actually follow the race, and I just happened to see this today, even though it was posted yesterday. But during the 120, it was noticed that the second-place team on the, on the stat sheet um, they noticed that their tracker skipped quite a bit of the trail. And instead of just chalking it up to the aliens, you know, deleting that tracker and then picking it up several miles down the trail, you can actually, if you go back into the um, 
the track the trackleaders.com you can actually replay the entire race if you missed something you can actually go back to a certain time or you can just go from the very beginning and watch them in a you can speed it up however fast you want it to go and you can watch them travel around the map and that's essentially what otter run did when they got up in the morning or whatever they they were watching um and what happened was they had noticed that the time en route to a particular checkpoint didn't make sense. It was about an hour and a half faster than anybody else's time, which is a huge disparity. You know, you can maybe see like a half an hour, but this isn't like Iditarod or Quest where they're going 50, 60, 80 miles between checkpoints. So it, it's a little, you know, it's not like they're resting, some are resting on the trail and then continuing on in the 120. So they're looking at it, and you can obviously follow the tracker. It looks like Nick, uh, I just totally blew his last name, uh, Nick Terman, he, it looks like he took a wrong turn that ended up being advantageous um, because it was a, a very good shortcut to meet up with the trail that looped around. Um, there, you know, Otter Run was not accusing him of doing something knowingly. It's very easy, as we know. We saw it in the in the marathon. It's easy to take a wrong turn. It's easy to get turned around. But like one of the other Twitter followers said, it's kind of like in the NFL when uh, somebody runs into the kicker or somebody gets a late hit that isn't really like they meant to hit them. It just kind of happens as they've lost their balance. You still have to throw the flag. You still have to have that penalty. And that's what Otter Run was saying. You know, they had an obvious advantage. They didn't run the entire trail. Whether or not they meant to take that shortcut, whether or not they knew they were taking that shortcut, they still had that advantage. And so it should be reflected in the final standings. Would it change the standings as a whole? Possibly, but that's where race officials, race judges really need to come in and step in. And so Otter Run um, sent word or, you know, messaged, emailed, they tried to contact the race saying, hey, are you aware of this? And as far as I know, no one has responded to that. I looked um, just this afternoon. They have not changed anything on the stat sheet. It's still reading the same as it did when Otter Run posted this on Twitter yesterday. There's no statement from the race. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. There are fans that are, are wanting more transparency from these races. We know that Iditarod got in a lot of trouble with it last year. Um, not being upfront with certain penalties that were happening. Um, and we're here now seeing it with the Bear Grease. Of course, fans on Twitter were already making those comparisons between the two races. It's something that some fans really feel strongly about. Um, I do agree that, you know, if, if people are talking about it, you probably want to try and get out, maybe not ahead of it, but you do want to respond to it and not just ignore it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Bear Grease 
says anything or the standing stand without any comments. And before we uh, tie it to the Cusco, do you know how much of a shortcut it was in terms of miles? Was it just a couple of miles? You said pretty substantial. What are we talking about? Um, you know, that is a good question. And I'd have to go back and look at the thread that they wrote. I didn't see a mileage, but I mean, without actually taking a huge amount of time and looking there, it's, it's, it, I mean, it cut out a good portion of a loop to the finish. Okay. So, it, I mean, it, it, his miles definitely were not the same as everybody else's by quite a bit, I would, I would assume. Again, we're talking math here. You're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're, I am not a mather. <laughs> you're the one. You are the one with your, the finger on the pulse of everything mushing. So... <laughs> Uh, as a matter of fact, didn't somebody say in our testimonials or reviews that Tony knows everything? So I'm going to hold you but to that. Tony doesn't math. <laughs> Tony doesn't math. Tony, Tony during Iditarod waits until like Danny CV does the math and then she extrapolates from that. Tony doesn't actually do the math. She cheats and looks at somebody else's homework. So, so guys, we need a math wizard on our team. If you're interested, <laughs> if you are a statistician, a math teacher, a college professor, and you just love numbers, we would love to have you a part of our Iditarod coverage. You can even become semi-famous on our Mushing podcast. So send us a message and uh, we'll see if we can hook you up. So... Uh, what else, Tony? Oh, oh, let's tie this to the Cusco because that was a big time story just a couple of years ago when this type of thing happened with some very well-known mushers. Do you recall that? I, I recall a little bit of it. I think it was several years ago now. Um, but on one of the Cuscos, Martin Boozer and his son, Roan Boozer, were both running. It was one of the years that they shared basically the the martin boozer kennel a team so it's been a few years now but um they took a shortcut uh it was i want to say part of an older trail that they used on the cusco many moons ago um and they were both penalized for it and a lot of fans were upset because they felt that you know they were picking on martin but then there were a lot of mushers who mm, semi-anonymously, both those that were on the race as well as just mushers who have raced before said, no, they knew exactly what they were doing because both of them took the trail, but they weren't running together at the time. So it was almost like it was planned. Now, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of bickering that happens in the sport of mushing. It's just how it is. It's the nature of things. So I'm not taking sides or anything. I'm a Martin Boozer fan. I like Roan. I, um, I, I talk with his wife on, on social media quite a bit. So I, I don't have a dog in this fight, but that was just what happened at the time of the Cusco. Now, they got penalized for it, and the Cusco did make a statement about it. So it is different than what we see in the Bear Grease and what we see in Iditarod, which is all more hush-hush and Maybe we will, maybe we won't talk about it. Wow. From a musher's perspective, that that is a pretty difficult feat, especially if 
they were separated by a whole bunch of time. You know, I've been in a bunch of races in my time, and I have a hard enough time staying on the trail with the markers. Uh, and for folks that may not know, the markers can be spread out anywhere from a quarter of a mile to a mile or more in between the two the two markers. So being able to take a side trail uh, that's definitely not marked, uh, unless it's, you know, like a super highway or something, that takes quite a bit of uh, forethought to be able to do that. And I know I probably couldn't do it at least uh, and, and, and find my way back to the original trail. So unless they knew that trail very well, like you said, it, it was one that was possibly used in the past or whatever. But uh, that's pretty interesting. I didn't remember them being separated by a bunch of time. So I guess that adds a little bit of uh, uh, more or rest of the story, as they used to say on, on one of those old radio shows, <laughs> uh, to, that, to that story. And, and we say that, and we tie all this together because we talked about in our Bear Grease portion of this show that strategy really, really matters. And that's what's really interesting to, to learn about, whether it's Iditarod or the Cusco or the Bear Grease or whatever. Strategy is a huge deal. And I think that that's uh, what, make, what makes mushing different from a lot of the other sports out there for sure. Tony, anything else before we go tonight? You know, I think we covered most of it. It was it was a well run race by everyone, and I I really wish that you know not all of the big races happen all in the same weekend because I am exhausted, and I know I didn't run the races, but trying to keep it all straight, my brain is tired. Well, we are heading into February, the second big <laughs> month of mushing, and as we mentioned last night, we will be on. I guess it'll be Friday night, uh, the day before the uh, Yukon Quest 550, which is happening this weekend. And then uh, we will do our recap, uh, I assume, Tuesday or so, since it's a 550. What do you think about that? How, how, so that's about half the distance of Iditarod. When are you thinking they would finish up? I know it's another math question, but do you think, <laughs> do you think it would be like Wednesday or Thursday? What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's hard to know just because this is a trail that they've never done before. Um, and I haven't even heard trail reports on if they've even cut the trail on the section that some locals are saying, you know, they don't. there's not even a trail there. So have they cut that in? Um, and with all the weather that they've had up there. So it'll be interesting to see just what they come up with. I would, I would guess that Tuesday evening, we probably have to wait until Wednesday to do a recap because I'm not sure there'd be much by Tuesday, but yeah. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, I agree. If you're, if you're just thinking about Iditarod, uh, what are they finishing in about eight and a half days now? Yeah, exactly. So, yep. so if we went four and a half days or so for the half of that race, that would put us sometime late Tuesday. So yeah, guys, we will be on our recap on Wednesday night to talk about the uh, Yukon Quest 550. Otherwise, we're still going to be talking during racing, and that that sounds too much <laughs> like I did a rod. So we're going to wait for that. So, <laughs> so Tony, the good news is we have a few days break after our show this mm -hmm. weekend, and uh, that's that's something interesting because the last few weeks or so we've been doing these about every other night or so. 
Yeah, we've we've had a lot of time to talk dog. <laughs> we we have for sure. So guys, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast. We are on all podcast players. And what I would like for a final question for our fans is where are you listening? I know a lot of people listen on Apple Podcasts. Uh, quite a few people listen on Spotify. Do you listen to some of the smaller uh, podcast players like Podbean or Acast or it's not small, but iHeartRadio or Google Podcasts? Where are you listening? Let us know so we can promote it over there as well. We don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket, even though about 80% of our downloads come through Apple Podcasts. So we're interested to hear where you're listening as well. And one last thing, thanks to the new Patreon patrons that came in between last night and tonight. We got a couple that signed up. I want to thank you guys. I I was going to mention names, but I just walked in the door before we hit record. So we will do that on our next podcast. But thanks for the new patrons, and uh, we hope you stick around for a while. Tony, thank you. We'll talk again soon, all right? Sounds good. On behalf of my co-host, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.